want to invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 while my road and tech crew put my table back. Thank you, roadies. I've always wanted to have to do a load in as a preacher. I've never had to do that before. You ever met people that were religious? The title of the message this morning is The Danger of Religion. And some of you read that and you thought, so what's wrong with religion? Well, you're going to find out today. There's a huge difference between a religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ. I was speaking to a group in San Diego, California a number of years ago, and I needed a haircut. And I didn't know anybody in San Diego, but I knew they cut hair at the mall, so I just went to the mall to get my haircut and walked in, and the first question they asked me was, okay, so you want a haircut, what's your name? I said, well, my name's Robert, why is that important? Do y'all have a chart for people named Robert? You get a bob, you know, wasn't sure. And I had more hair back then. She said, have a seat, Kevin will be with you in just a minute. Here comes Kevin. And uh, I should have run out the door when I saw Kevin's hair. He kind of had this receding hairline Kramer thing going on. And if he's going to do that to me, I didn't want that happening. But we sit down in the chair and, uh, you know, eventually they're going to get around to, so what do you do for a living? In fact, the question, first question he asked me was, where are you from? Well, I'm from South Carolina. And here's what he said. Oh. He has sized me up. That I'm from South Carolina, I'm probably some redneck married to my sister. <laughs> and we continue to talk, and then he said, so what do you do for a living? And a lot of times I'll kid around about that, like if I'm speaking in a public high school and a student walks up, what do you do for a living? I tell him something like, well, I'm a scout for the Atlanta Braves. How, how's your arm? But a couple of times I just thought, I've got to be dead level honest. I was at a Japanese restaurant, only one at the table. They cook it at your table. Well, I go in, I, just, I was traveling, had a hankering for Japanese food. And so I sit down, and I'm the only guy at the table. He's cooking just for me. So all the conversation is directed to me. And he said, so what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a preacher. He said, business good? I thought, I don't think he understood English real well. He just knew how to ask the question, what do you do for a living? And whatever I said, business is good. I could have said, I'm out of work. Business good? Yeah, it's, it's great. But so Kevin finally asked me, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a preacher. And he said, oh. So I've gotten two O's, and I'm figuring out this may not go well. And he's already been cutting my hair for a minute or two, asking me these questions. And in the middle of the haircut, he said, well, let's wash your hair. I've had a lot of haircuts. They either wash your hair at the beginning of the haircut or not at all. But what has he seen down in my hair that makes him think, let's sanitize this? So he's got me under the washer, you know, and water's running. So now he's taking up a conversation with the guy next to him, and he lets a profanity slip out. And he looks back at me, red face, said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to use that kind of language in front of somebody religious. I said, well, you can talk to God about that, but I'm not religious. And he said, what? I thought you said you were a preacher. I said, I am, but the word religion and religious is used about ten times in Scripture. Nine out of ten times, God condemns it. So I'm not about being religious. I'm about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's the message for this morning, and that's the passage we're going to look at in Colossians Chapter 1, just to catch, excuse me, I'm actually in Colossians chapter 2. Just to catch you up to speed, letter of Colossians was written to who? Do you think that's a trick question? It's not. The letter to the Colossians was written to the church at Colossae, to the Colossian believers. Paul had probably never been there, likely he had never been there. He wasn't the one that was pastoring the church. Epaphras was doing that. But Epaphras has taken the journey over to Rome. Paul's in prison, and it told him about the church. And some of it was very good. Paul was encouraged by what he heard. Here's the big concern. There were false teachers. 
there are false teachers that were looking at the church and saying either one of two things. The Judaizers were saying, Jesus isn't enough. Okay, it's fine that you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you need to become a Jew and add all of that law, and we're going to get real specific with that in a minute. Or, secondly, the beginning of the Gnostic heresy was Jesus isn't fully God. And we've, Paul's addressed that already. So I want you to keep that in mind. As Paul writes this, he's writing it to a church, new believers, Gentile believers, not grown up in the Jewish faith, come to faith in Christ. And so Paul says this to them. First word he uses is the word therefore. Therefore, verse 16, chapter 2. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head with whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth which is from God. Verse 20, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you're living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with, you, with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So you see the word therefore, and you realize what he's just talked about is what Jesus Christ did on the cross, the certificate of debt. We owed a debt we could not pay. We were sinners. We were in need of a Savior. Nothing we could do to save ourselves, and yet Jesus went to the cross, and as I trust Christ as my Lord and Savior, that certificate of debt that I had signed myself, I owe you. God had paid it in full, and it's stamped on it, paid in full. He's canceled out that certificate. So he gets then to the therefore. So if that's true, listen. Here's the message you need to get this morning. If you're a child of God, if you come to faith in Christ, this passage applies to you. And so he asks the question, or he makes a statement, don't let anybody act as your judge. You ever been around people who think they're like the Holy Spirit? Don't point at anybody in the audience. Well, we've all met them. I've been in churches. I've been a youth pastor at a church where we had a lady who kind of thought it was her job to help out the Holy Spirit. And so she'd come and, you know, in a tender voice say, well, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, maybe there's things you shouldn't be doing, and maybe she's holding somebody accountable. The other things is maybe it's just your opinion. It's not a biblical you shouldn't be doing that. It's just by tradition. In fact, I thought of some of the things that I grew up with tradition. I'm a recovering legalist. Y'all know what that is? I grew up in a pretty legalistic church in Macon, Georgia. Not slamming the church, but there were some things about that church. Number one, ladies, you couldn't wear pants on Sunday morning. Now, you could wear them on Sunday night. That never made sense to me. Why was it not okay on Sunday morning? Now, if you go there today, they finally allowed pants on Sunday morning. I served a church in Texas. You couldn't play cards. But you could play this game called 52 with dominoes. Anybody ever heard of that game? It's the exact same thing as cards. It's just you're using an ivory tile instead of a piece of paper. So apparently there's something evil about cards with printing on them. But you can play the same game with dominoes. No dancing. Grew up in a church. No dancing. So we would have foot fellowship. As long as you kept one foot on the, t- on the floor at one time, we, de- we determined that wasn't dancing. 
So he says, why? Don't let anybody act as your judge. And here's the way they would judge you. First of all, in regard to food or drink. There were certain laws in the Old Testament that did make a distinction among the Israel people, the children of Israel, the Hebrew nation, the Jews. And they were things about things you could not eat. If you go to Israel today, they're still observing those dietary laws, which, by the way, in uh, Mark's gospel and in the book of Acts, we find out that God has declared all food clean. Here's some things you could not eat if you were a Jew. You couldn't eat bacon. That's enough right there for most men to say, well, I can't be a Jew because i got to have my sausage and my bacon. First time I ever visited Israel on the way out of the country, been there 10 days and leaving and went to the, they had a McDonald's back then at the airport. I went and got a Big Mac. I was just ready for something that tasted like home. And so I got Big Mac. The fries were the same, and the Big Mac actually was good. I bit into it, and I said, there's something missing. Do you know what was missing? Cheese. You couldn't have milk products with meat. So in the morning, you can have eggs with butter for your toast, but at night, all you can have is margarine. And I'm not making fun of them because I think God had some dietary laws in the Old Testament to make them a distinct nation so that they would not mingle with other nations. If you go to Israel today, they have Shabbat elevators. You say, what in the world is that? First hotel we stayed in that had three elevators, one of them was designated a Shabbat elevator. Here's, here's what that means. That elevator is going to stop at every floor and the door is going to open. So that if you're a Jew observing the Sabbath, you didn't have to push any buttons. Most every hotel has revolving doors so that you don't have to do anything. You just walk up and walk in. Again, I'm not making fun of them. In fact, I've even thought, because they'll line up at that elevator, I thought, you know, I could help them out. What floor are you going to? I'll press the button. But I didn't want them to think I'm making fun of them because I'm really not. But that was the law that Paul is writing about and saying that was the way things used to be. Jesus has declared all foods clean. Aren't we glad for that? Some other foods you couldn't eat were shellfish, lobster, shrimp, crab. Restaurants wouldn't do too good down here if we were in Israel. They'd have to close up. And I really like some of those foods. So he says, why are you, don't let anybody act as your judge in regard to food or drink. So what was happening is people were coming into church and seeing them have their low country boil. And they said, you can't do that. Why not? Well, because in the Old Testament, there was rules against having shrimp and the sausage. Couldn't do that. So don't let anybody act as your judge in respect to food or drink, or even in respect to festivals or new moons or Sabbath days. What had happened is the Jews had added on to the law of God. The law was not bad. The law was good. The law pointed you to the need for a Savior. We could not keep the law. That's why Jesus had to come and pay the penalty for our sin. And so Paul is writing and saying, don't let anybody act as your judge. These people that want to infiltrate the church and take away from the fact that you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior and are saying now you need to add these other things to it. Paul's saying don't do that. In fact, the word Sabbath day here is actually the word Sabbath days. Where do we get observing the Sabbath from? Well, first of all, God gave us the example in Genesis. He created the earth in six days. What did he do on the seventh day? He rested, created a principle that we need rest. So in, in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, how many commandments are there in the Ten Commandments? Right, there's ten. One of them is... Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. In fact, it goes a little further than that. So there's nothing against Sabbath days. What there is against it is when that becomes your religion. Remember Jesus walking with his disciples through a grain field and picked up some grain on the Sabbath? The Pharisees jumped all over that. Shouldn't be doing that. You remember what Jesus said? Man is not made for the Sabbath, 
the Sabbath is made for man. The Sabbath, which is a good thing, you need a day of rest, has become just a law and a religion. And they had added Sabbath days. It wasn't just one day a week anymore. Now it was multiple times a month. New moon festivals. They kept their calendar by the moon. So when a new moon came out, it's the first of the month. Hey, let's have a festival. And if you don't observe that, you're not being religious enough. And so you can't call yourself a Christian. You certainly can't call yourself a Jew. Legalism cannot constrain the flesh. What you'll learn trying to just keep all the rules is your, the rules cannot get you closer to God. In fact, Ephesians 4:22 says your flesh is being corrupted. Hear this. If you're a child of God, your flesh is not what needs to be cleaned up. It's your heart. The flesh is being corrupted. The flesh will decay and pass away. But you're going to live forever as a child of God or separated from God, depending on your relationship with Jesus. So don't let anybody become your judge, because all those things are a mere shadow of what is to come. When you walk out of here after the service is over, you're, the sun's out. Hopefully it'll still be out. You can see a shadow. But when you get under the direct light of God, there's not any shadow anymore because he's directly overhead. So all of those things are religious. But Paul says, but the substance belongs to Christ. What you've done when you let somebody else become your judge is you've taken the keys to your life, and you've said, here, you do the driving. Don't do that. So the first point is, there goes my chapstick. Anybody need some? So first, don't let anybody act as your judge. Secondly, don't let others take your prize. When you turn the keys over, the prize that you've received now belongs to them, and they can try to defraud you of it. It literally says you've already got the prize because they're keeping on trying to defraud you of it. It was a continual thing that the legalistic, outside, heretical teachers that were infiltrating the church are trying to steal you and rob you of your prize. One of the things they want to rob you of is the joy of your salvation. Let no one. I think Paul had somebody in mind. I think Epaphras has said this guy is in the church Here's what he's trying to do, because he makes it very personal. Let no one, don't let anybody keep defrauding you of your prize. One of the people that I met when I first moved here was a guy named Ed Severance. Ed Severance was in it well into his 90s. He'd been married once before for about 50 years. He was now about 30-something years into a second marriage because his first wife had died. Lived over here off Stanley, if you're familiar with the area. And I'd go visit with Mr. Severance. Unfortunately, I'd go after lunch some days. Mr. Severance didn't believe in air conditioning. I'm not sure we do today. I'm a little warm in here this morning. Some of you are fanning. But Mr. Severance didn't believe in air conditioning. So you sit out on the back porch after getting a full belly at lunch. be 100 degrees, and he's just telling you stories. And I'm trying my best to keep awake because he wouldn't remember that he's already told you the story. But Mr. Severance was a Ford Motor Company dealer, and when the Ford NASCAR was going to come and run a race in Darlington, the very first ever race, he wrote a letter to Ford. We need to put a car in this race. And they wrote him back and said, Ford's in the business of selling cars, not racing cars. Can you believe this? And then they finally wrote him back and said, okay, we've changed our mind. Put your car in the race. So he put his car that he's driving around town in the race, and he told his driver, just don't hot rod it too big. They're probably not going to keep up with laps. And he finished like number 17 out of about 80 cars at the first race at Darlington. But one of the things Mr. Severance told me was he raced in a race where after the race was over, a car had beat him to the finish line, but they came to him and said, actually, that car was a lap down. But because of sponsor obligations, we want to give him the prize. 
but we'll give you first place money. And Mr. Severance says, no, I don't want your money if you're not going to give me the prize. I thought about that this week when Paul's talking about, don't let anybody defraud you of your prize. What's the prize? The prize is Jesus. The prize is eternal life. The prize is spending eternity with God in heaven. And he's saying, don't let anybody defraud you of that. Don't let anybody defraud you of the prize of having joy in knowing that you know that you know that you're a believer. You have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Don't let somebody come in and say Jesus isn't enough or Jesus isn't fully God. So don't let anybody act as your judge. Don't let anybody steal your prize. They keep defrauding you. And here's some of the ways they were trying to defraud people. They delight in self-abasement. False humility is nothing more than ugly pride. I heard a preacher one time that said, you know, I'm going to write a book, My Humility and How I Attained It. Or I was going to preach a sermon on humility, but I'm waiting for enough people to get here because it's really good. Pride is something we all deal with and struggle with. And the kind of humility that Paul's talking about is not real humility. Humility is false humility because it's basically saying, I'm humble and I'm proud of it. Look at me. Look how humble I am. And Paul says they're trying to defraud you of your prize, and here's what they're doing with their own life. They worship angels. Well, certainly the Gnostics were doing that, and I want to get into the whole Gnostic heresy. But they essentially said God is holy, and so he can't get close to earth because earth is evil. And so he sent out these Various emanations, if you could call angels, and the last one would be evil because he could touch earth but still do the bidding of God. And they thought and taught Jesus was one of those angels. So Paul says they're trying to defraud you of your prize by worshiping angels. They take their stand on visions they've seen. Here's what happens. When you've got somebody who's a spiritual leader and said, okay, I had this vision. You weren't a part of it. It was kind of a private message just between me and God. It's hard to debate that, isn't it? The way you debate it is, does what you're telling me square with Scripture or not? And there are people even in this generation who are believing preachers who are saying, well, this is a private message I got from God. I don't know if you ever heard of the Moonies. When I was at college, the Moonies would stand outside of our cafeteria passing out American flags. They would pin them on your lapel or on your shirt. Y'all ever heard of the Moonies? Reverend Sun Myung Moon. So my roommate and I were walking to to dinner one night. This girl puts a flag on my shirt and I thought well, this is cool and she starts putting one on him and I said why are you doing this she said well we're putting flags on all the good-looking guys shirts I said well if you're giving him one you can have mine back because I don't qualify apparently but here's what the Reverend Moon taught the Reverend Moon taught that Jesus and most cults will mention Jesus they'll talk about Jesus it's just Jesus isn't enough the Reverend Moon taught that when Jesus died on the cross that wasn't God's plan there was one of those oop moments God just wasn't paying attention he was crucified on the cross and so god had to send another to fulfill the full mission of christ guess who reverend moon thought the other person was that god has sent well isn't that special yeah it's me i'm the one that's feeling i'm picking up where jesus left off and you you can go to pretty much any cult they'll talk about jesus in fact many cult leaders grew up in the church know all about jesus they will just say jesus isn't enough we need to add something to jesus so he defrauds you by visions he's seen, inflated without claws, and he'll also not hold fast to the head. So the, the cult leaders, the false teachers of the first century, have lost touch with Christ, the head, which is the head of the entire body in whom all the ligaments and joints grow together from God. It's all about God and held together from God. Here's, here's the problem. If you're not walking in the Spirit and you're just being religious, it's kind of like the guy I read about that had lost his sense of hearing couldn't hear a thing 
He stood on the edge of the dance floor, and he watched some of his friends dancing, and he thought, they are having fun. They're smiling. They're laughing. I want to do that. So he got on the dance floor and started doing all the motions they were doing and thought, this is empty. This isn't fun. I don't get it. What's the big deal? And somebody finally through sign language explained, the problem is you can't hear the music. If you're trying to live the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit, living it through you, if you're just trying to be religious and just observe a list of rules, it is empty because you're not hearing the music. God's not indwelling your life through the person of the Holy Spirit. So be very careful to let other people steal your prize. And then the last thought, Paul sums it up by talking about your life in Christ. He uses an if and a why statement. If you've died with Christ. We've already talked about this previously in chapter 2 and 1. If you've died with Christ, that's how Ephesians, uh, Colossians 2, 7 says, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How do you come to Christ? You come dead. You stay there. So we have died to the elementary principles of the world. All these laws that they are wanting you to, to add to the cross, we're dead to those things. We're dead to those. So if you've died to those things, why, as if you're living in the world, do you submit to yourselves to, to, to decrees? It's because some people are comfortable with the rules. Just give me ten steps that I can control. The focus is on me, and I'll obey those rules. And you miss out on a relationship, and it's like not hearing the music at the dance. And some of the rules are don't handle, literally not just touching, but don't handle, don't attach yourself to this. Don't taste. I love Psalms 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. They're telling you don't even taste these things. And ultimately, do not touch. It kind of it kind of is a decreasing thing. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Anything in these days that you're ever told don't touch? I sat in a restaurant on Wednesday, and they put a plate in front of me. Yes, it's that restaurant. They put a plate in front of me and said, this is hot. Well, I'm a guy. What are you going to do when somebody puts a plate and says, this is hot, don't touch it? I got to touch it. And you burn your hand and realize, you know what, that's right. Kind of like wet paint. How many of you see a sign that says wet paint, and you think, that's been there a while? And you touch it. And the rest of the day, you got a dot on your finger, because why? You touch paint that told you, don't touch this. Well, that's a funny illustration, but here's what's happening to these believers in Colossae. They've come to faith in Christ. There's joy in their heart, and now there's people telling them, you didn't do enough, so we've got to give you a list of rules to add on to what that is. And it sounds good. It says that it, it has the appearance of self-made wisdom. But that's all it is. It's just rules masquerading as wisdom. Self-made religion. This comes from man. And he gives specifics about the self-made religion. Self-abasement, the humiliation of mind. You're, you're basically trying to look like you're the most humble person on the planet. And the severe treatment of the body. I read this week that in the first century, there's some people that, that became so enamored with this idea of mistreating the body because, again, they thought the body was evil because God is up here, we're down here, everything material is evil, and yet Jesus came and became one of us, didn't he? That's why they couldn't accept the fact that Jesus truly became fully man. They understand, okay, he's God. They didn't think he was fully God, but they thought he was close to God. But he can't be fully man because man is evil. Well, man was evil, but once you come to faith in Christ, you're not evil anymore. It doesn't matter if your feet are on this earth or in heaven someday. But people would beat their bodies. They would deprive themselves of things. First century, there were people that wouldn't take a bath. They'd walk down the street and bugs would fall off of them. 
so they wouldn't bathe themselves because they thought bathing is treating my body as if it's something other than evil. And so they wouldn't give any value to that. And Paul says, all of that stuff sounds good on the surface. It sounds like you're doing something extra. It sounds like something you go to God and say, look what I'm doing for you. And yet they're of no value against fleshly indulgence. In fact, he writes to the, to the Galatians, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. I want to close with just some thoughts that I wrote down. The difference between religion and relationship. The difference between religion and relationship. Religion is dead. Relationship is alive. Religion is man-made. Relationship is godly ordained. Religion is decaying. Some of you are taking notes, so I'll slow down. First of all, religion's dead, relationship's alive. Secondly, religion is man-made, relationship is godly ordained or God-ordained. Religion is decaying. Religion will not last, it's decaying. Relationship with Jesus is eternal. Religion focuses on man. Here's the problem with religion. Religion is always going to have you asking the question, have I done enough? Is this good enough, God? Or maybe you're even asking people, is this good enough? So religion focuses on man. Relationship focuses on God. Religion is all about rules. Relationship's all about relationship. Religion leads to pride. I'm religious. I know you're going to think I'm kidding, but I used to sit on the pew at the church I grew up in, and I would look at people around the church and try to figure out who the spiritual ones were and the ones that weren't very spiritual. And I'd kind of do it to figure out how I stacked up against them. You ever done that? It's kind of like when you liked the girl in the fourth grade and you found out some of the other guys liked him and you're kind of looking around going, well, I don't care if he likes him, I can take him. Then you look at Steve, who's like three years older than the rest of us. He and his dad graduated from high school at the same time. No, just kidding. And I remember thinking, I hope he doesn't like her. Because I, I, he, he had long fingernails. I thought he will scratch me and I'll bleed to death right here in the fourth grade. But when you do that spiritually, you're looking down the aisle at people and you're thinking, and here's what I thought as a teenager, the ones who look the most miserable must be the most spiritual. Look how much pain they're in. Maybe they just had bad pizza the night before. In fact, I finally realized, you know what, some of the fruit of the Spirit or part of the fruit of the Spirit is things like love, joy. So if you look at people that don't have joy, they don't have God because it's a fruit of the Spirit. So no, it's not the people who look miserable know God. It's the people who are miserable need to know God because they're trapped in religion. Religion leads to pride. Relationship leads to humility. Religion's all about pride. Look what I'm doing. Relationship with Jesus, you realize I was empty. He did everything. In religion, you walk by the flesh. In relationship, you walk by the spirit. Religion, behavior modification is important. In relationship, genuine heart change is what takes place. See, if you get a list of rules, you can keep those rules for a little while, but eventually it becomes empty because you're doing a dance without the music. But you have a relationship with God. It's not about you anymore. It's not about temporal things. And yes, all of this will be destroyed one day. It's about relationship with Jesus who's already said, I love you enough to die for you. And a God who loved you enough to send his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you for that.